should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us here on this little Friday. It is Thursday, December 3rd, and here in San Francisco... The uh, the winds are howling and the rain is coming down, finally. I mean, I'm sure of it. A lot of us are extremely excited about it as California is suffering from a drought. And then some of us are going crazy about it and not being able to drive in a straight line. Although, <laughs> I don't even think I can drive in a straight line ever. <laughs> Fong, our producer, is in studio. Hello, Fong. Hello. Uh, I would like to take a minute um, to to express how heartbroken I am to hear of the news yesterday of the shooting that had occurred in San Bernardino at the Developmental Disability Center. It was a regional center, and it, it, it got even more scary for me and more personal um, as I, my sister actually works at a uh, developmental disability center, and her regional center from the same company is actually up here in Northern California. Um, you know, I posted about it on my Facebook, and so if you you want to chime in on the discussion, the conversation, well, just friend me <laughs> and find me on, on on Facebook, Michelle Meow. I don't want to take up too much time on this show. No, lots of people are talking about it, and it all has to do with uh, you know, open an open conversation about gun control. Um, you know, the Second Amendment here in this country, uh, but I think it has a lot to do with with uh, the the fact that we need to have a bigger discussion about. Uh, the lack of compassion as human beings um, that we have, especially here in this country, and how media, society, the government, somehow have gotten messages in, inside of us that uh, have really uh, yeah, make us had made us become these humans that that, that don't uh, when there's someone who's different or something that is different from us or somebody believes something different from us, uh, you know, all of a sudden we're, we're very 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 defensive. Mm-hmm. I find that people are extremely angry these days. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so, you know, again, yes, we say this all the time when something like this happens, you send thoughts and prayers. But it's it's really time that I'm going to say we need to wake up. So wake Mm -hmm. up, America. Um, All right. So let's talk about today's program. Uh, You know, Fong, very quickly, uh, you know, what's your relationship like with the TSA? Um, Nothing really. You've never you've never been. Angry about going through, you know, the TSA line when you're about to fly out somewhere? Luckily, that hasn't been the issue. Yeah. Very. You've never been treated differently, never been asked multiple questions. You know, maybe because I look really young or Mm -hmm. innocent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily, right? Yeah. 
Well, I'll tell you as a non-conforming person or a person who doesn't look or present myself in the way that women, uh, you know, mm. are supposed to look like, uh, supposed to, and I, I use that term loosely. Um, yeah, I get I get all kinds of different experiences. So the TSA line to me is like, it's like I'd start to panic <gasps> and I freak out and I don't know if it's going to be a pleasant experience where it's not. So it's a good thing our guest today, mm. uh, we're going to have an open discussion about, you know, uh, non-conforming bodies and our relationship with the TSA. So let's get our program started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our next guest, I can proudly say, I know this person. I follow this person. I read her work, and uh, I've interviewed her, I, I believe, a couple of times, or I've tried to. Um, but I've had open discussions with her, and I, I hope that she considers uh, me as a friend as well, because I consider her as my friend. Autumn Sandine is, a re- is, a, is retired from the U.S. Navy back in 2000 with 20 years of service. Um, and in 2010, she and other LGBT veterans were jailed twice in direct actions at the White House advocating for repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And some of the work that I've read from her have come from Pam's House Blend um, and also Trans Advocate. Uh, and so I'm very excited to have Autumn here with us to discuss the TSA and, and the relationship that we have, especially with nonconforming bodies. Autumn, welcome to the program. Oh, glad to be here. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't mean to, you know, just to give you that, that big old introduction and, but I hope, I hope that you, you think of us or think of me as your friend. <laughs> um, all right. So the TSA, I kind of mentioned it, you know, it's, it's always like this panic uh, situation for a lot of us who may be nonconforming, but on a, on a deeper discussion with a, an article that you wrote for, that was featured on the advocate, um, trans bodies, especially, this is pretty sickening in, in kind of if you, you think about it from the legal standpoint that the TSA had actually uh, looked at or maybe still do looked at, at, at trans bodies being terrorist bodies. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, I went, the way I looked at it, I wanted to go through the history of how we got to the point where trans bodies are terrorist bodies. And so I went back, geez, all the way back to 2000 and where uh, we started out with um, a memorandum back in the Bush administration where I think the actual phrase, let me quote this exactly because I don't want to get this wrong. Um, The actual phrase from it was, oh, oh, I hate doing this here. Um, I can't... uh, Terrorists will employ novel methods to artfully conceal suicide devices. Male bombers may dress as females in order to discourage scrutiny. (laughs) So um, what it was actually addressing was in the Middle East, um, there had been uh, terrorists who had dressed up in uh, oparkas and um, I can never pronounce it right, uh, nubabs, nijabs. Uh, basically in the full garments that covered everything but their eyes. And they would go up and, you know, do terrorist actions and a suicide bomb. Well, the way it's written, I mean, if you can see it, it's basically if you uh, dress in a way that was non-standard, in other words, if you were transgender, it could be interpreted that 
that way of dressing made you a terrorist. It wasn't written in a way that said you wear clothing that's non-standard and you're in a uh, Middle Eastern country that where you have this loose flowing garment. Yeah. And it just followed through through years after that that all the steps following have kind of acted on that kind of premise, even though that memorandum is supposedly, you know, went out of style back in, what, 2000, and, I think 2006 or 2007. Which, you know, is not that long ago. I mean, I mean it's not like, it, it just seems like this is... Uh, been written, especially during a time in which LGBTQI rights uh, have been given more exposure. Um, you went through the historical piece of this and trying to, to, to talk about this and having a link, a, a much deeper discussion. And it comes in the, the wake of a public outcry from a trans woman, you know, as you mentioned in your article, Shadi Petoskey. And, uh, and and her documenting how humiliating her experience was with the Orlando International Airport. And I asked Fong this earlier, you know, if she's had any experiences with TSA, but um, what about you? I've had one. You know, I don't fly that often. So, you know, probably like twice a year. But I've had one where I've been pulled out. And I don't know if it was because I got the anomaly thing. I don't know, but... You know, when I got pulled off to the side, you know, my first thing was I outed myself and said, you know, I'm transgender. So, you know, when you go there, you're going to have something else. So this was after the underwear bomber, and I got this kind of look from the female agents, and they knew enough to know that, you know, those particular ones knew enough to know to say, um, do you want male or female well, you guys are good enough, you know. Yeah. I'm perfectly fine. But apparently that's not the response that a lot of trans people get. So, you know, it is, I mean, that's not how, um, this, uh, I can never pronounce her name either. <laughs> <laughs> I always see it in writing, but not in pronounced. But it's really, that's the kind of experience a lot of folks get, you know, they and also a lot of them get the thing of, you know, they will have women do the top half and men do the bottom half, which is also kind of, or that's what they want to do. And kind of this. I was just going to say, I, I, you know, you mentioned the phrase anomaly earlier, and I wanted to kind of break that down and, and what that means when the TSA uses that. And, and we're we're talking about the, the full body scan. Um, it, it, this is extremely, I mean, if we, we get into it and we break apart how the TSA defines, uh, well, how they how they actually, you know, say that you're 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 cleared, right? You're you're not a terrorist. You got to go through this entire process of of checking anyway. Everybody does, um, but the fact that there are no, it doesn't seem like there's there's training or sensitivity to trans bodies, especially nonconforming bodies. I mean, let's let's talk about that phrase anomaly and what that actually means when the TSA uses it. Well, I'm going to go into two aspects of that. Anomaly is based on the effect. You were describing how you're not conforming to societal sex and gender norms. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, their whole system is set up for people who conform to norms, whether they be sex and gender or physical body norms. Um, so if you're going through the line and you 
have, let's say, a disability that's physical, you know, that, you know, for some reason you're wearing a hairpiece or you're wearing a binder or you have an artificial limb or any of these things that are just, you know, you have some kind of physical attribute, that's the reason to be pulled out of line. Um, if you don't fit uh, what the standard look of what male and female is, that's a body that's a potential terrorist body because you're now not the norm. So if you don't comport uh, to what sex and gender or physical body is, you have a terrorist body or you have a terrorist presentation because you are not conforming to norms. And so you stand out. Um, so when you're talking, it's anomalies for all of these things. And so you're different, and they're trained to look for differences. So when it comes to the electronic devices that they're using to look for bodies, you know, they have a pink and a blue button that is literally looking at your body, and especially after the underwear body, genitalia is now part of what they're looking at. And so they said, now we're going to come up with a new word instead of anomaly. But, you know, whatever new word they come up with, it's still going to be anomaly. Right, right. Um, and I've also, you know, what didn't make it into this article is I talked to Veronica Pickle, who was a PSA agent. She actually had a, uh, oh, my gosh, a lawsuit that was settled with them um, because she was of an out transgender woman who worked at the TSA, and uh, they treated her badly. But she was involved with training with them in 2004. In fact, a year, it's almost a year to the month prior to when uh, the incident happened in September of last year. Um, she gave training, and it was to 300 members of a 45,000-person organization. And the thing I can tell you is that they do not, even though they have their person come out and with a nice standard brief saying, we give training, they do not have standardized training right. for transgender people. And 300 people out of 45,000 people, mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're barely giving... You know, when other people are doing this, they're basically only giving them transgender 101. I mean, you can tell by the way they treated, um, how do you pronounce her first name? Uh, I always say shady in my mind. I say I, shoddy. I said shoddy, but but S-H-A-D-I, <laughs> shoddy Pitowski? Yeah, but Pitowski, Ms. Pitowski, how, you know, she was treated there, you know, they do not have mandatory training for those folks who do this. And the training that they give them is not standardized. Right. And so. I wanted I want to get into that and how problematic that is and uh especially during a time in which um we, you know the that that we may be announcing soon, right, that uh, transgender military officials can serve openly. Uh but I got to take a quick break right here but when we come back we'll continue this discussion. Is that okay with you, Adam? That is perfectly great. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. Don't go away.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this little Friday, or Thursday, I should say. (laughs) I should really say it's Thursday, December 3rd, uh, but I call it Little Friday here. Our guest today is Adam Sandine, who retired from the U.S. Navy in uh, 2000, the year 2000, and has 20 years of service. Um, and we're talking about the TSA's history of declaring trans bodies to be terrorist bodies. Um, yes, that is actually correct. There's a policy in place in which um, the TSA abides by in uh, kind of what they look for as far as triggers of someone who could potentially be a terrorist. And uh, trans bodies are one of those triggers. And, and Autumn, you did a great job in breaking down you know, what that actually means. Um, this is so problematic because, you know, again, Trans people, uh, just because you're trans doesn't mean you're a terrorist. And and, and fortunately, especially in this country, the way that conversations uh, transpire and happen, especially during a time of attack, say, for example, right? Um, The enemy, quote unquote, can be just about anyone. But tell us, you know, the the, 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 the TSA, I mean, are they making any progress, making any changes and, and even understand why this is problematic? Well, they suggested this is what the strange thing is, is they're making suggestions of how trans people can help, you know, in the process. They, they have this, what they call the TSA CARES line. And what it's supposed to be is for people who are like veterans or disabled that have issues and then they can call in advance and then the TSA is supposed to help them through the process. And they suggested this number uh, after Shady went through the process uh, and had her problem. And um, Don Ennis, uh, also for the, uh, the advocate, wrote about her experience calling the TSA and going through the process. And her experience was they weren't prepared to answer any questions about being trans and flying. So even though they're saying they're preparing themselves, they're not actually prepared to answer any of the questions, you know, when they actually 
to follow through. So on one hand, they're saying, this is where you call to deal with the issues, but when you call them, they're not actually doing it. But in all the cases, um, even when I talk to uh, Veronica Pickle, her, you know, the solutions are involve outing yourself as transgender. So the, the problem with this is, even though there has never been a transgender terrorist, we're still being treated like we're terrorists. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of, you know, we're being treated in a way that's not associated. You know, it's not based on our behavior. It's based on our bodies. And that's why I kind of describe this as terrorist bodies. Mm-hmm. We're being presumed to be terrorists. And there is no way that they're addressing this that's not dealing with us outing ourselves voluntarily. And even when we out ourselves, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're being treated better. It just means that we're being treated and, you know, we're, we're not, there's no solution in place that they're actually putting in place to fix it. They're just working at the edges and not actually even fixing it at the edges. They're just telling you ways to handle it. So it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, unsatisfactory. And again, when they do this, they're going to change the word anomaly, but that, they're, that's not not enough. Going to fix. Yeah. they're not actually going to fix anything. They're just going to change. Right. It's going to be a nice euphemism for anomaly. Right. And see, that's the, uh, the issue. I mean, to me, it's like in my mind, I'm like, well, why not hire you know, a team of, of, of folks who can help with the problem. And those people would probably be, yes, transgender people. Um, and it, I mean, it's as easy as that. And I don't understand that, you know, they have to go through this process and would have to check in with someone who's probably more than likely, you know, a, cisgen- a cisgender male who lives in a heteronormative, you know, world. I-, I can't see that person being able to provide any solutions either. So, I mean, you know, so look at yourself. You're, you know, 20 years of service. You've served in the Navy. You would be an incredible asset to the TSA or any even, you know, the Department of Homeland Securities. What is the hesitation in terms of finding the correct resources to help with this problem? Well, and this is what's so bizarre. We're talking now at the same time about open service for transgender people in the military. I mean, it'll probably happen sometime early next year where transgender people will be able to serve openly. So we're saying at one time, or at, you know, in one on one hand, we're saying, Transgender people can be an asset to the country, and we're going to say you can serve openly because we see the value of not discharging you for no reason whatsoever. And at the same time, when you fly commercially, we're going to treat you as if you have a body that's a potential terrorist body because one time there was this guy who was an underwear bomber, Mm -hmm. and... um, we consider everybody who has any kind of quote-unquote anomaly that goes through as being a potential terrorist. So your body is a terrorist body because when we have these pink and blue buttons and you don't have a pink body by our standard of what a pink body looks like, you know, that's, right. that's a problem. So we get 
pushed into this thing. I mean, it's the same thing as people who have prosthetics. You know, if you got injured in the war and you lost your leg and you're going through, or you're getting on a plane in a wheelchair, you know, your wheelchair is a possible place where it's presumed you're going to uh, have a, you could have a bomb in your wheelchair. So it's presumed that you're a possible terrorist because of a mm-hmm. prosthetic. If you could put something in the prosthetic or something in the... So we're going to give you extra security because you're disabled. Mm-hmm. And even if you're disabled because you're a war veteran, you know, it's just kind of a crazy system we have of taking people who are assets to the country and saying, we're going to look at you as a possible terrorist. Which, you know, you and I could probably have a much lengthier discussion about safety, security, and, uh, you know, <laughs> that whole conversation. <laughs> you know, But we'll save that for another time. One thing I did want to ask, you know, is um, when people like Shady, you know, speak out and use social media to, to, to talk about the humiliating experiences of even going through like TSA as a trans person, does that impact, um, you know, the TSA at all? Does does that help? I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. it draws attention to the problem. I mean, we are at, a, at that transgender tipping point. I mean, we really are at a point where transgender visibility is changing things. We're seeing the pushback um, just in broader society. We're seeing social conservatives move from marriage equality to worrying about what bathrooms transgender people are using. Um, So the visibility on this issue is really significant, but does that mean that it's going to change anything? Are we going to see another case of this in six months? Are we going to see another one six months after this? I think we actually are, because I don't think the problem is being fixed. I think the problem has just been looked at. And then six months from now, we'll see another case of this. Mm-hmm. And six months after that, we'll see another case. It's just a case of, and I think what will happen is, is that the TSA will be better at taking our phones away from us. So that... we can't live tweet it. You know, actually, that was going to be my, my last question for you, is just kind of like the general... Um, practice of, of, you know, whatever these policies are in place that defines uh, safety or what defines a terrorist here in this country. When large, you know, or massive attacks um, happen and the countries that are impacted or affected go into uh, security mode, I mean, to me, that's got to impact the most vulnerable of us as you mentioned, the disabled, uh, the trans community, even more so. Would you agree? Yeah, I think they do. I I really do. I mean, it's kind of sad, but I mean, when when you look at the group yesterday that was impacted, I mean, it is a disability group that's been attacked. I mean, it it seems like the oddest of places that... um, being selected, and we looked at Sandy Hook, which was the last really large one, and it was a group of vulnerable children that were targets. It seems like the, the biggest ones are our most vulnerable population. 
to run away from, you know, to escape the, uh, you know, the attacks. So it is kind of, the trans population is a vulnerable population. In fact, um, uh, Jillian White had an article that came out this morning, again, in The Advocate, about um, just how the courts are the place where to go. And she actually cited a case where uh, in New York during, uh, I believe it was the Occupy um, movement, that a trans man was subject to ridicule and mistreatment by the police specifically because they were trans. And it shows that you're even, again, in a case of because we're a vulnerable population, we get treated badly, Mm -hmm. and even by law enforcement. Right. So we're getting hit on all sides. It's just vulnerable populations get hit a lot, and transgender people are one of the most vulnerable populations at this point. And and I even think that um, the most vulnerable then become the most targeted, you know, during these types of high security clearance checks uh, because you look different or you, you know, and it's so it's it's crazy to me because that's the whole big discussion. And you brought it up earlier in the conversation. You're not checking for behavior in which terrorist acts, you know, that's what you would think people um, in these types of roles would do. You look for how people act or behave. that they could potentially be carrying something illegal. and But instead, it, it kind of comes back to the, the low end of it, uh, which is, you know, it, the people look for, does this person have a beard <laughs> or a big ass to conceal a bomb? I don't know. Well, I, I even looked online on their behavior list, and their behavior list um, that the TSA uses are people like Shady, who are upset that they're looking at them, that actually is behavior that's considered terrorist. Um, So her being upset and crying that they're looking at her is considered behavior that means she could be a terrorist. It's just bizarre on what behaviors they're looking at. It's not even science. They were even looking and saying that it's sociologists who were looking at it were just shaking their heads and saying, this isn't even scientific, mm-hmm. and they're not even using metrics to verify that, that, this, that the metrics, that, that the things that they're checking for are actually things that terrorists would actually do. So it's just, so again, Shady acted in a way that they would identify her as a terrorist beyond that based on her behavior, and one of the behaviors was doing exactly what she did, which was becoming upset that they were identifying her as a possible terrorist, which is, again, that's kind of a bizarre way of identifying somebody who's a terrorist, somebody who's becoming upset because they're identifying her as a terrorist. Right. Right. Autumn, thank you so much for your time here today and for discussing your article with us. It was an extremely fascinating article. And so during this time that people are traveling and you're thinking about the TSA, please be sensitive to the fact that not all of us breeze through that uh, that. I don't know, that machine or whatever you want to call it. So read Autumn's uh, article on The Advocate. It's titled TSA's History of Declaring Trans Bodies to be Terrorist Bodies. Autumn, thanks again. Come back and join us, okay? Okay, I will. The Michelle Miao Show continues. Don't go away. 
I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple of months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people, and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this little Friday. <laughs> or Thursday, I should say. I, I think it's a little Friday, especially, you know, everybody goes out on Thursday nights now. Don't you think, Fong? She's, she's, she's nodding her head uh, for everyone who's tuning in. Fong, people can't see you. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, the show continues. Our, our next guest wrote an awesome article that's featured on the Huffington Post titled The Frozen Conflict of LGBT Rights. And it's interesting because this just this morning in a conference call, I talked about this very, very uh, idea of LGBT rights as a commodity. It seemed like it was, you know, a season uh, that that we kind of followed because of political leaders who kind of, I, I don't know, I guess, yes, it feels like capitalized on, on the movement to some degree. And then now, you know, we're still talking about the issues that we face, but I wonder who is listening. And I think, you know, Andras and I will probably have a very um, interesting conversation centering around that. So our next guest is Andras Simoni, who is the managing director uh, for the Center for Transatlantic Relations of John Hopkins University. Andres, welcome to the program. Thank you. Nice meeting you. 
It's great to meet you. I hope I said your name correctly. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, wonderful. So yeah, so you know, perfect timing for us to talk about this um, and and kind of you know LGBT rights and where it, it's it's going. And I think you know just the title of it, uh, the frozen conflict of LGBT rights. It seems like you know we're a little bit uh, we're we're icing a little bit here, or, or or it's kind of slowed down in terms of the energy. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's the point. You know, remember two years ago in the run-up to the Sochi Olympics, we all talked about this. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, you know, there was a visible um, formation of, uh, of of an alliance between gay people, straight people, LGBT people, straight people. And it was kind of, you know, politicians grabbed the opportunity and, 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 and really... Uh, we thought this was going to be something that remains on the agenda. And two years later, I would see, I see this as kind of a, I call it a frozen conflict. It's a conflict that everybody knows is there, but nobody wants to uh, put on the front, front burner. And kind of suggesting, you know, we have bigger fish to fry. Well, my message is uh, human rights is not an on and off thing. You cannot just say, you cannot just say, well, we care about it now, but we don't care about it tomorrow. Uh, it's got to be on the agenda. And one more thing. I keep repeating this. Uh, LGBT rights is the cutting edge of human rights. It is, it is really a... a, 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 a you can, I can't think of a stronger message about uh, us uh, open, democratic, and free uh, societies than acceptance and, and equality. And so that is why I, I wrote this piece. Uh, and that is why we at the university are, are really caring about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's this, there's this idea, this thought, you know, that um, the advancement of LGBT rights here in this country and uh, Western countries, um, you know, has almost somewhat of a negative influence on other countries who may see LGBT rights as a Western thing. That is problematic, isn't it? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I think we've we've all learned a lot. I think I think uh, we have in the past uh, couple of years we've seen that. That yes, you're right. This is seen as a Western thing, as an American thing, uh, but but it does not, that does not mean that we in the free world should be supportive of, of movements, organizations, individuals that are being suppressed because they're they're LGBT. So that's the point. What is it that we have learned? I mean, have been are we strategic enough? I mean, uh, I, I we now know there is no one size fits all. Uh, solution and the the advancement, the advancement of the cause in Europe and, and the United States um, is, is maybe maybe the, the way we did it is not the exact uh, response in other places. But one thing is clear: we in the free free world, we cannot abandon our brothers mm-hmm. and sisters who are mm-hmm. still suffering from this issue. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Andras Simoni, who's the managing director for the Center for transatlantic relations at John Hopkins University. And we're talking about his article titled The Frozen Conflict of LGBT Rights. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been wanting to have this conversation for a long time because if we even bring it home to the free world here in America, you mentioned it in your article. Sure, you know, this country has granted uh, full federal equal rights as far as marriage equality goes, but the quality of life for LGBT is not necessarily equal. Um, and and I I totally feel as if uh, we're in a, you know we're I call it a growing pain right where the most vulnerable of us who have not achieved that um, 
the advantages of what marriage equality has brought us are suffering the most and from discrimination and from hate uh, and even in the form of religion. What do you think? Well, you're so right. I think I'm, I'm amazed and I'm, I'm really, I think Americans should be proud of the way, the long way they have come in the last uh, 10, 15 years. Uh, but, you know, if, if you want, it's not over yet because uh, the, the, the way LGBT people live on the East Coast and the West Coast and big cities in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, is really not the same as, uh, as, as rural America. So you, you, you still have some work to do. But, but you know what? In the end, uh, in the end, I think America is on track to put this, this behind, behind it. It's not the same case in countries uh, where there's no democracy. You know, uh, the most vulnerable groups are the first to suffer when there is a dictatorship, when there is a backsliding of democracy. Right. And LGBT people are among those. And this is what, what I'd like to call the attention to. Uh, you know, we see a backsliding of, 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 of democratic rights, and immediately you see a, 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 a backsliding of LGBT rights. But just one more thing. Uh, nobody wants to talk about the terrible, terrible discrimination of LGBT, LGBT people uh, by radical Islam, by ISIS, uh, the way they throw LGBT people uh, off roofs of, uh, of, of houses. I mean, you know, and that's just, uh, that, that, I think that's a case in point. We all who believe in a free and democratic world, we need to pay attention to that. Right, right. Here's here's also the the thought, right, in in terms of of this LGBT rights being a frozen conflict, of um, those leaders that we elect into place have to be leaders who also believe in human rights and equal treatment, and that it doesn't only apply to countries that are considered in the free world. Do you think that in the future, 2016 and beyond, um, even if social conservatives today here in this country are becoming a little bit more progressive, do we have faith that that will continue? Uh-huh. That's a good question. You know, I have friends uh, I have friends in in uh, in uh, both the Republican and the Democratic Party uh, who are very supportive of this. So I I wouldn't want to suggest that this is a a, a, a the dividing line is not between Republicans and, and Democrats for sure. Mm-hmm. But I do see a danger that if there is a stronger conservative movement, this will have a backlash, uh, and that would be very 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 negative. But let let me just mention one thing before. Uh, we move on. You know, the, the elephant in the room, in the room is Russia. Uh, remember what happened to the LGBT community in Russia a few years ago. Right. And when I say that politicians uh, sometimes say, well, we have bigger fish to fry, we have to form alliances, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think the rights issue, the human rights issue, should ever be off the agenda when, when, uh, when Western countries discuss politics uh, discuss uh, cooperation with other other countries, and that this is why I mentioned and uh, why I I, I I use the expression frozen conflict because you know it's beginning to look like uh, the frozen uh, uh, conflict in in remote places like uh, Transnistria or Ukraine, and that's not the right thing. Mm, what a great point. We're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to continue this this very, very, very fascinating and awesome uh, conversation. So stay with us, Andres. Thank you. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. 
listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our guest on the phone is Andra Simonia. He's the managing director at the Center for Transatlantic Relations from John Hopkins University. And, and uh, we're having this incredible discussion about LGBT rights and how, uh, well, Andres used the expression frozen conflict. Uh, but really, you know, the the... I think the point we're trying to make is that you know, LGBT rights and fighting for LGBT rights is a global thing and that, it, you know, LGBT rights uh, applies to human rights and this basic principle of how we all should be treated equally. So, Andres, we, you mentioned Russia right before the break. And I just want to remind everyone, you know, what happened in Russia just a few years ago regarding LGBT rights. They had passed, uh, Putin had passed a policy, an anti-propaganda, anti-gay propaganda policy in which if you were, you know, guilty of um, any, any saying anything promoting homosexuality, especially in front of children, you could be jailed uh, and or fined. And that was right before the Sochi Olympics. Um, and, you know, people were so angered about it. Uh, there are Americans here who were pouring out Russian vodka out on the streets. Um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, Russia and focus on a country like that and why you think our leader should continue pressuring the country to consider LGBT rights in, in their country, Andres. First of all, first of all, I, I, I do believe that uh, if the country does not understand that the LGBT community is, is one of the most creative, most interesting, mm-hmm. uh, most daring you know, community. Then they don't understand that no citizen, no person can be missed 
from the uh, from the process of modernization, and it, it especially especially uh, applies that to countries that that had that had you know that had an opportunity a few years back to make it to democracy, and it, it hurts uh, for me to see. Uh, how democracy has totally put back in, in, in Russia, how the country has become a semi-dictatorship. And, and uh, you know, I, I want to repeat what I said earlier, that uh, the LGBT community is one of the most vulnerable communities, was the first one to, to suffer. There is a reason why they were picked on. There is a reason because uh, they were the, they, they were presented as 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 the enemy from within, there is the West, and we need to get back to our so-called traditional values. So that's really why we need to keep this uh, on the front burner. And by the way, uh, I, I also want to say that um, we are at, at our university. We are trying to figure out how to make sure it's understood that LGBT rights is a geopolitical issue. There is an important element of strategy uh, in how we how we deal with it, mm-hmm. and um, and when we deal with other big nations, uh, I think it's important to uh, keep in mind. What do you think could potentially be the consequence if uh, LGBT rights did take a a backseat and did not you know was not part of the priority in terms of you know policies that we fight for? What I mean, and, and that's from a global perspective too, not just you know what would happen here in this country. Well, you know, I I, I would say that uh, I mean people will suffer. I think uh, whether people like it or not, uh, the attention of the West does help people on the ground. And you know, sometimes you might think that we who do scholarly work or who deal in, in, in policy, we're up there uh, forty thousand uh, feet uh, above the ground, but we, at the end of the day, whatever we do, have to benefit the community itself. And if we if we abandon the issue politically, then we're also abandoning people on the ground, and that's really the that's really the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A colleague of mine had brought up uh, colonialism, you know, this morning, and and talked about the practice of that. And you know, when you look at what uh, I guess the free world has done in terms of occupying countries that may not, um, you know, have democracy in place. What are your thoughts about about doing something like that? In which you, if you, if the if a country like the United States were successful in then occupying a, a country that was not democratic, but then imposed, um, you know, democratic principles. Do you see that as a threat to LGBTQI freedom, and 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 that I think applies to all you know vulnerable groups and minor minorities, and especially the oppressed? Wow, that's a very good question. I don't think I, I we have to. Uh, there is one one very good and very strong message coming out of Africa recently. We mm-hmm. I spoke to an activist in Africa and said, you know. Uh, we don't need money. We need patience, and that's a very good statement because I think uh, I don't think you can uh, impose this uh, from one day and, uh, to to the next. But I think it is very important that we uh, take time to explain how LGBT rights is uh, is is related to the future of of a given country. I don't think I don't think we have done that very well. 
and and you know, uh, I don't think we, I don't think it's about imposing democracy on other countries. It's mm-hmm. about explaining to other countries, citizens of other countries, that you can get the best of your best out of your people, in 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 the interest of your country, if you're free and democratic. No country, uh, I cannot see a country that is fully democratic that has ever failed. I have seen a lot of countries that do not embrace democracy and have done that. Wow, thank you so much for answering my question. <laughs> I can get uh, I can get a little insightful. I hope I hope I, I hope I gave you an answer that uh, that your audience can understand. But I I really feel very passionate about this, mm-hmm. and I and you know I must say that talking to people here in Washington, I just came back from New York yesterday, talking to some very interesting people, uh, and uh, also at the United Nations. And I think it's it, there is there is now slowly. Uh, an understanding that yes, this is an issue we cannot abandon. I love it, and, it, and no, I, I very, I very much thank you for your answer, and uh, that brings us to our very last question. Um, you know, in the article, uh, one one sentence that I, I'll I wanted to bring up was the fact that you said in our own scholar scholarly work uh, is important in the process of building the alliance between the LGBT community and straight people. You know, talk about you know the the weight of that. Well, uh, let, let, let me put it this way: I don't think there's any minority group that can actually succeed without the support of the majority, and this is true for uh, for all minorities, and it is particularly true for the LGBT community. Uh, building alliances uh, means that straight people have to understand that this is not a short-term uh, feel-good thing. And I, as I said in the article, you know, you can't pay yourself uh, to, to, to this uh, by uh, giving money to uh, uh, LGBT organizations and then we're done. This has got to be something that is, that is a lasting and solid alliance. And I do believe that uh, there is a growing understanding among straight people that we need to help and support our, uh, our, 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 our gay, lesbian, trans. Uh, uh, gender and, and bisexual friends uh, in order to succeed. And I, you know what? I might, I, let me say that um, I'm very proud to be part of this. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Andres, thank you so much for joining us here today and your time and your, your thoughts. Uh, I really, really loved our conversation today. So thank you. Thank you, Michelle. That wraps up the show. Wow. I, I am so thankful to Andras. And so if you want to follow his work, in which I just started following him, you can follow him uh, on Twitter at CTR, uh, at CTR SAS, S-A-I-S. <laughs> I don't think I said that right. It's CTR, I'm sorry, at CTR underscore S-A-I-S. Um. I think that uh, you learned a whole lot today, right, Fong? Yeah, that was a very good show. Thank you. Thank you for being a great producer. I try my best. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, no, seriously, in in all honesty, both conversations really give you perspective of of just kind of how, you know, life is impacted by society and decisions that certain humans make that, that have this negative repercussion in which it makes us feel something. Mm-hmm. And that reaction, mm-hmm. if coupled with someone who has a tendency to react 
um, in an active way mm-hmm. and which at times we have experienced that in a violent way, I, I think that that is very dangerous and it's very, um, it's a problem to human life. Yeah. Um, you're right. Like attitude and behavior and how certain people perceive those ways of, uh, you know, behaviors can really affect, um, you know, our relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, you know, relating that to recent, you know, mass shootings and all these attacks that we've been, you know, experiencing. And I don't know if you heard um, San Francisco, I believe it was yesterday in the Bayview uh, neighborhood, there was, um, you know, a shooting. Um, I watched a video and it was about a guy who was just, you know, walking and there were a couple uh, police officers had their guns. That's right. Uh, yeah. So I guess you, you had a chance to look at it. And that was really scary because he wasn't doing anything. But they, what could have... Yeah. They thought that he was wielding a, a knife or something, right? That was their explanation. But four police officers shooting one guy. I know. Like, and no one talked about it since um, it happened yesterday. And then most of the time it's like, what what could he do with without a gun? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that... It didn't seem like he was trying to attack or trying to do anything. Mm-hmm. He was just walking away. So how could that behavior be, you know, threatening, you know? And and see, and that's the problem in which I'm talking about mm-hmm. the, 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 the policies, the, the, the decisions that come into place from other human beings. In this case, they're human beings who have authority over us to some degree because they're you know, law enforcement mm-hmm. and um, and and the training that the the lower end of it. Right. So if you're the guy at the top who does the, the decisions at the policies and then you deliver that down to the lower oh. guys who have to carry out that policy, mm-hmm. the, the interpretations get lost. And then society is then impacted in a, neg- in a negative way. And I think that that's going to be the basis of our conversation as we continue on for the next week or two. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us here today on this little Friday. Please enjoy the rest of your evening, whether that's a warm cup of milk or a nice, bold, robust red glass of wine or (laughs) glass of red wine. That would be awesome. We'll be back tomorrow, the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, but it will be John Zipper of Commonwealth Club with his week-to-week political talk. Talk to you later.